0: And welcome back to Wellness Embodied Collective Podcast, formerly known as the Reality Bible Podcast. I'm your host, Sydney Campbell, and we're still bringing you the same mental health, wellness, and general personal development content that we always have, but we are part of a new brand, Wellness Embodied Collective. If you don't follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, uh, then you probably haven't seen that we are established as a new nonprofit organization. And the purpose of our organization is to help people access mental health care. And we're doing that through fundraising, being able to provide uh, some financial aid to people who generally can't afford um, certain mental health care services. We want to be able to help people access those. Uh, Beyond that, we are also providing general wellness content. And so, uh, a lot of cool things are coming with our organization. I recommend following our Instagram, Wellness Embodied Collective, as well as our uh, Facebook page, Wellness Embodied Collective. And of course, on the podcast, we're still going to be talking about different, all, all different kinds of things, mental health um, and wellness, because this stuff should be free anyway. And so, we're trying to provide as many resources to you as we can. So, uh, if you continue following on our social media as well as our podcast, we're going to have videos up on YouTube and our website is going to feature the Wellness Library, which is going to have all kinds of resources that are available for free or for donations uh, because at the end of the day, we're a nonprofit, and we're trying to raise money to help people in need and be able to financially support them. So, Stay tuned for all new developments. Again, following us on social media is the way to go because that's where you'll see all kinds of updates as soon as they're happening. And you can also see our website, wellnessembodycollective.org, and you'll be able to find all of our information there. Today's episode, I wanted to get into um, conversations about therapy because as I've interacted with people on my Instagram... Uh, a lot of people just don't really know a lot about therapy and where to start, especially if they've never gone to therapy before. And the entire message of what we're trying to provide to people at Wellness and Body Collective is we want you to be able to access therapy if that's something you're interested in. And a lot of people, what's holding them back isn't even being able to afford it. It's about how do I start? What's it like? I'm I'm intimidated to go. it's uncomfortable to sit and... You know, dive into deep and scary and uncomfortable things, uh, and that's absolutely valid. So, what I wanted to do on today's episode is a little bit of a myth busting session on different aspects of therapy that people commonly believe. And I found a list of common myths about therapy from Psychology Today. So that's kind of what I'm working with today is some general things, and you may or may not agree with some of these myths, but. I'm going to myth bust them for you as a person who's gone to therapy for years and who is very comfortable talking about therapy. And I want more and more people to be comfortable talking about therapy. So that's what today's podcast is going to be. So let's get into it. Myth number one, again, this is from Psychology Today, myth number one is people who seek therapy are weak, mentally ill, or crazy. And that's definitely not true. Um... Going to therapy is such a broad action. It does not mean anything specific. You can go to therapy for a myriad of different things, and there are a bunch of different types of therapists, as well as a bunch of different types of therapy. So going to therapy is not the phrase that should throw you off. Nothing about therapy should throw you off, but that phrase is going to be torn apart and, you know, not be associated with you being crazy in the future. Um, Therapy can help you work through trauma, as it has for me. It can help you work through um, kind of disordered behavior, anger problems, anxiety disorders, depression, uh, grief counseling, couples counseling, parent and child counseling. Like there's, I mean, a, a whole bunch of different things. I mean, think about physical therapy. You don't have to have broken a limb to go to physical therapy. You're going because there's something, you have a huge body, right? You have all these different things that could be either in sync or out of sync in your body. And you go to physical therapy to have somebody help work this thing out. It's the same with mental health care and therapy. So just because you were attending therapy doesn't mean you're crazy. It does not mean you're weak. It does not mean that you have something wrong with you at all. I think that that's a myth that's going to be less and less prevalent in our society going forward, I hope, genuinely, because it that's just, that's antiquated, that idea. So myth busted. Number two, therapists sit behind desks taking notes while you lay on a couch. Absolutely not. <laughs> I've never been to a therapist that had me lay on a couch while they sat somewhere else in the room and said, how does that make you feel? That has never happened to me. Um, the entire point of being in therapy is being comfortable and being safe and feeling safe. So there's no prescribed way that an office is laid out for you to go to. Sometimes they'll have a couch for you to sit on, but you don't lay down on a leather couch and, you know, your therapist is in the back with glasses on smoking a pipe. That's very antiquated. And in every office I've gone to for therapy, it's always been like a normal conversational setting. You're sitting in a chair and they're sitting in a chair across from you just having a conversation. It is not formal. It is not stuffy. It's it's very normal. It's very relaxed. And there's also different modes of therapy that, you know, you might not even be interacting with your therapist that much. And I'll get into that a little bit later, but absolutely not. There is no one set image that you should have in your mind of how therapy is going to go for you. Not true. Number three, psychotherapists and clients become best friends. Definitely not. (laughs) That is not the case whatsoever. You are not paying a therapist to be your friend. These are medical professionals who have spent years training and studying and learning about the human body and the human brain, and they're here to be an external source of help they're there to help you with whatever you're going through given their expertise so no they are not your best friend and that's actually something that i notice on like mental health memes which i love we all love mental health memes because it lightens up the subject of talking about mental health but what does bother me occasionally is the expectation that your therapist is going to be your friend And you can, you know, just basically text them and be like, OMG, guess what I did today? Like, that is, that's not what therapy is about in my experience. And what I've noticed is throughout the week, I'll take notes and write things down and come back to my therapist and say, okay, here's what I want to talk about today. And, you know, help me work these things out. They'll get to know you and they're very familiar with you and you'll be familiar with them because you build a rapport so that you can continue working together and they have a clear image of what you're dealing with in your life. But they are not there to be your friend. They're not there to validate you at any cost. They will speak with you as a professional in their field and in their field of expertise. So, definitely not true. Number four, psychotherapy is mostly just talk. So, There's a good amount of conversation to be had when you're in therapy because what I've experienced is that as someone who deals with anxiety and depression, my mind is constantly working, right? And so, I have an inner dialogue that happens and what's helpful is to voice that dialogue to a therapist who is experienced in what I'm dealing with and can talk about it in an educated and professional way that helps either debunk what it is that I'm thinking or kind of source where it's from and we can work through it and what it means but in my experience I do most of the talking because you're there to speak what's going th- what you're going through and to verbalize that to your therapist is something that's often helpful in therapy However, there's other modes of therapy that I've done where you're not speaking at all. At all. You walk in and maybe the speaking happens and they're telling you, okay, here's what you're doing today. And then you don't talk. There's two different forms of therapy that I've tried where this occurs. Number one is written exposure therapy. Written exposure is similar to exposure therapy, but you're writing it. And so basically for me, working through a traumatic experience, I was sitting and writing it out as if it were happening. I write it down on a sheet of paper, and after it's over, I either read it to myself or I read it out loud, and we work through specific things that come up in that writing. I found it to be very helpful because a lot of times, if you're uncomfortable speaking about what you've been through, writing it down gives you a little bit of a, you know, privacy, And so, you're a little less hesitant to, like, hold back what it is that you're thinking or saying. So, in that case, you're not doing a lot of speaking at all. And another mode of therapy that I've tried, which has been my favorite so far, is EMDR. EMDR stands for Eye Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. And it's a whole thing. I'm going to do an entire episode dedicated to EMDR someday, but EMDR is... You working through something internally, 100%. And the only speaking that occurs is your therapist intervening every couple of minutes going, okay, where is your mind at? Or what are you thinking about? Um, It's very interesting the way EMDR works. And again, I'll do an episode about it another day. But that's another one where it's not a lot of conversation happening. The work that's being done is internal. And it's all you. All that's, all that's being facilitated is the actual machine that either is flashing lights at you or um, you're holding little tappers and they, they buzz in your hands um, or you're wearing headphones and there's a tone that alternates between your ears. So that's the only facilitation that's happening, but there's not a lot of conversation going on. So... There are a lot of modes of therapy where conversation is the driving force, but there are plenty that it's not. So that's not necessarily true. Number five, therapists have ready-made solutions for all your problems. 100% false. They are not problem fixers. Therapists are there to help you and help guide you through what it is that's going on in your life and what it is you're struggling with. It's a third party who is trained in whatever it is that you're going through that has some suggestions on, okay, here's how you can process this information. Here's a way that you can handle what's going on. And it's that's very vague because the way that therapy works is very vague. It's more specific when you're going and you have your case. But it is absolutely not, you know... Here, I'm going to prescribe you this, and you're good to go. And you're going to be, you're going to feel much better next week. That's not the case at all. Therapists try to have information that's going to help you in whatever it is that you're going through. But often, no, they don't have answers for everything that you're going through. You work through it together. And that's the helpful thing about building a rapport with a therapist, is because you can work through things as they happen. You continue going to therapy for a set period of time and you can work through either something from the past and what you're going through now, or you can concentrate on something that's just a struggle at the moment. And you work together to get to a place where you are feeling better and you're more comfortable and you're more equipped to deal with what you're dealing with. They're not there to make your problems go away. And if you have that expectation going into therapy, you're going to feel let down, and you're going to feel disappointed because you'll realize that you have to do most of the work. It's not your therapist's job. They're not doing the work. It's you. So that's definitely not true. Number six, therapists blame a problem that you're facing on your upbringing. Not always true, and it's a good thing that that's not always true. There are sometimes. That you'll experience a therapist. And this is something that if you're reading April's book of the month for Wellness Embodied Collective, it is How to Do the Work by Dr. Nicola Perra. And in her book, she references how a lot more often nowadays, especially with psychiatry, so if you're being prescribed medication for a mental condition, You're more commonly asked about your upbringing and your family history than your lifestyle and your nutrition and how you're taking care of your body and your habits. Now, upbringing is incredibly important. And uh, next week, I'm actually speaking with Dr. Kate Pate, who is going to talk about inner child work. And we're going to talk about um, dealing with trauma as you you grow up as, as a child. But there is an important distinction between a therapist focusing on your upbringing and focusing on whatever else it is, whatever other factors are impacting why you're there. So, for example, when I was attending therapy, my initial uh, driving force to attend was processing a sexual assault. And that hadn't Nothing to do with my upbringing, the actual incident that caused me to want to seek therapy. So while I was processing that initial incident, we didn't really talk about my upbringing. As I started working through that, some other things started to come up that happened to be associated with my childhood or growing up, my adolescence, whatever it was, if it was relevant, we would speak about it. But that's not necessarily going to be the focus. So, the biggest thing is just don't have an expectation of what your therapist is going to ask. Another important thing to remember is that when you are attending therapy, you're more in charge of the session than you probably think. And what I mean by that is you are in control of your dynamic with that therapist. The most important part of that is if you're not clicking with your therapist, if you don't have a good rapport... You, it's, it's nothing personal. You can find another one. I've done that. I worked with one therapist and he was very, very smart, very intellectual. And just, we didn't have the right chemistry to be working through some of the things that I was working through. They were very intense and it felt too cerebral for me to be applying his logic to events in my past. It was very informative and very interesting but it was a little bit raw. And so it just didn't quite feel right when I was working through it. I went and found another counselor and we fit much better. She was much more we we just had a better chemistry than I did with my prior one. So, it's it, it's completely in your control. If the chemistry that you have with your current provider isn't exactly what you want it to be, that's okay, and you can find another one. So, not always going to be focused on your upbringing in that case. Number seven, therapists can prescribe medication. Absolutely not. Psychiatrists are able to prescribe medication. Psychologists are not. Social workers are not. Counselors are not. So if you are concerned about going to therapy and being just said, here, I'm going to stuff you with pills, don't worry about that. That's not going to happen. And more often than not, your providers are not going to be quick to put you on medications. The reason being is because there's so much more to the human mind and mental health than a chemical imbalance. It is kind of like, it's a supplemental thing to be given medication. It's kind of like ditching your meals and only drinking protein shakes. That's definitely not what protein shakes are for. Protein is a supplement to a well-rounded diet. It's not a replacement for proper nutrition. And so it's, it's not about, here, just take these pills and you'll be better. It's about, let's work through these things and do the hard work. And if, you're, if there's some kind of hang up and if you're just not progressing, maybe we try medication. Maybe we see if there's something chemically that is, that is holding you up and we can move forward. So psychologists are not going to prescribe you medication if it's something that either you or your therapist brings up thinking that it might be beneficial to you. You will be referred to a psychiatrist who is equipped to prescribe medication. So don't worry about going to therapy and being suggested a whole bunch of medications. Not going to happen. Number eight, therapy can solve problems in one or two sessions. No, 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 no. I have spent close to two years in therapy, and I am still making progress. I, I've i made a lot of progress, but I am far from done. And anyone who's been in therapy for a long time will tell you the same thing. Going to therapy is not a quick fix. You go to therapy because you recognize I have some work to do in this area of my life. And I hope when you're ready to go to therapy, you recognize that it is not a quick process. It is very long. Your sessions can be anywhere from 30 to 60 minutes, maybe a little bit longer. It depends on what kind of therapy you're pursuing. But do not expect to be done in a week or two. Don't expect to be done in a month or two. The idea that you can just go to therapy and then be done is is just not accurate. And so, unfortunately, and and I understand the frustration when you're like, I just want to feel better. I want to be done and I want to stop having to do work. Unfortunately, that's just not realistic because you are a very, very complex person and there's so much to you and to your mind that it's going to take a lot longer than a grand total of 120 minutes to fix your problems. That's not going to happen. So if you're going to therapy and you expect to be done very quickly, you got to rethink that. It's just not realistic, unfortunately. I wish it were faster, but it's not. Number nine. Therapists believe that personality is cemented by age five. I've never even heard this idea before, and it's definitely not true. Um, I would I would like to speak with a therapist if they believed this and, and ask them why. Um, every therapist I've worked with has, you know, has never even alluded to something like this. It's always talking about the person as a whole and as you continue to grow and change and learn. It's, it's nothing. I've never even heard of something like that. Number 10. Therapists can make clients feel immediately better after each session. I'm not even going to sugarcoat this. I used to leave therapy feeling like I needed a nap. (laughs) It's exhausting. Um, Especially, especially when you're doing EMDR. And like I said, I'll do another episode where I talk more about it. But it's exhausting to work through some of these really deep issues. If you're going to therapy and working through trauma, it's exhausting. And a lot of times you don't feel better when you leave. Sometimes you feel worse when you leave. But it's, it's, a, it's a marathon, not a sprint. It's not about feeling better after your session. It's about feeling better overall. So don't gauge how you feel after your session. Don't use that as the thermometer for how you're doing overall. The days that I would go to therapy, I would come home and basically be tied to the couch. And I wouldn't want to move, I would sleep, I would check out, I would just be like, you know, on my phone or playing a game, doing something distracting because I'm just tired. It's really, really hard. To go to therapy and work through some vulnerable things. So don't expect to feel like a million bucks after each session. However, I'll tell you, there are times that you'll make these incredible breakthroughs in a therapy session for whatever reason. And you will leave feeling like a giant. And I can't replicate that feeling. It's one of the greatest feelings in the world to me. Is making a huge breakthrough with a therapist, even on my own. It doesn't even have to be with a therapist. I just associate that feeling with, and, and I see, I envision myself leaving the medical center that I used to go to therapy at on base when I was seeing my therapist um, when I was active duty. And I used to have this vision. Even now, I can see myself walking out of the medical center towards my car. And it was after those major breakthroughs. And I, it felt like the sun was just in front of my face and I was on top of the world. Like there was nothing that could bring me down. And it's that kind of reward that you get when you continue to work through something in therapy that makes it worth all the times that you come home and you feel like it sucked. So don't expect to feel great after every session, but don't expect to never make progress because that is also incorrect. Even when you feel, when you leave and you feel like you're exhausted and, oh my God, I I could cry, even if you cried in in your session, totally normal, and you come home and you feel horrible, you feel like garbage, it's okay because you're still making progress. That's why it hurts so bad, is because you're making progress. So again, also false. So there's our myth busting for the day. And I intend to do a lot more of these. If you have, you know, myths or misconceptions about therapy, send them in to me because odds are I've thought what you're thinking. And I've been in therapy for a long time. And I've tried a lot of different things. I've been with a lot of different providers. And I've been on medication. I'm still on medication. And I would love to be able to bust those myths that you might have and... And take those misconceptions and show you that that's not what your reality is going to be when you start therapy. It can be really intimidating the first time you go. And it was intimidating for me for the first several months. It's a little bit scary. But once you start and you're making progress and you, you're not going to recognize yourself from when you started. And you don't have to have gone through something traumatic you don't have to have anxiety. You don't have to have depression. You you don't have to meet these requirements to want to go to therapy. It, you don't need to wait for something to go wrong with your car for you to take it to the shop, right? You do your maintenance on it. You change your oil. You rotate your tires. You do these things because you want to. Pre- it's preventative maintenance. You want to help yourself before something goes wrong. Same thing with therapy. Same thing with couples counseling. You don't have to have gone through something detrimental in your relationship to say, let's go to therapy together. Not the case at all. And people are stunned by the fact that my partner and I have gone to couples counseling several times. We've spent a lot of time in couples counseling together, and people are shocked by it. Because they're like, well, what happened? Nothing happened. We're doing we're doing maintenance. We felt, you know, maybe we could be... Maybe there's something... something we're overlooking here. Let's get in, let's get in with the third party and, and get some perspective here. That's all it is, is perspective from someone else, someone who's not immediate to what it is you're going through. That's what's helpful. So don't feel intimidated and feel like you don't deserve therapy. Everybody deserves therapy. Everybody deserves mental health care, which is why our nonprofit is here. So If you want more information on Wellness Embodied Collective and what it is we're trying to do, you can visit wellnessembodiedcollective.org. All the links for the book of the month, our website, our social media accounts, they'll all be in the description of this podcast. You can go through and you can explore. And you'll also see a link to our current fundraiser, which is happening through GoFundMe. Now, I did a little YouTube video about why we're going through GoFundMe for our first fundraiser. So, if you're curious, you can go watch that, also linked below. And please don't hesitate to contact us if you have any questions, if you are curious about something, if you want to help, if you want to donate, that would be incredible. Again, you'll see the links for our fundraiser below and you can can go through and you can see what it is we're raising money for and what it is we're trying to accomplish. If you can't donate, please share this episode, share our accounts, and share our fundraiser with as many people as you can, because we're not specific to one area. We're doing this for everybody. We're doing this virtually. So um, you can explore all of the links that we have in our description, and please reach out if you have any questions. You can reach out on our Instagram at Wellness Embodied Collective, or you can send an email, hello at wellnessembodiedcollective.org. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode, and I cannot wait to talk to you next week with Dr. Kate Pate. We'll see you then.